This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Alan and I for The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we try to unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing designs and work together to make design that is profitable. I'm Greg from studio1design.com, and here's my co-host alan from pixelpartnershq.com how are you buddy i am awesome greg mate we have got a uh, killer episode this week we've got uh, kate richards from trueentrepreneur.com and she is going to be talking uh, branding i'm not talking about the design of your logo we're going to talk about the six common mistakes that uh, um, the brands make which uh, and she's waiting in the wings before we get in there greg what have you been up to this week yeah, look, I've just look, you know, obviously, uh, well, when we recorded this, pretty close to the start of the year. And um, I just am reviewing my marketing plan for the year. I'm going to do more, you know, more funnels, essentially. So we'll talk about that a bit more detail in another episode. But uh, what about you, buddy? What have you been up to? Now, listen, to be honest, I've been having some trouble with third-party suppliers, you know, okay. which for me is really frustrating considering, you know, at Pixel Partners, we put so much effort into making sure that every interaction with our clients is is near perfect or perfect. Um, and to be let down by other third-party suppliers that don't work to our standard is just, you know, it's somewhat infuriating so i've decided to go for a zero tolerance uh, approach to suppliers and i don't think that's being harsh i just want the best for my team and the best for our clients you know and that goes everything now the way i'm looking at from internet supply to uh, stationary supply to computers to all this sort of thing and just making sure that our suppliers are delivering us to the same standard that we deliver to our customers because there's a knock-on effect Crucially you know? important, man. Yeah, you got a you got a reputation yeah. to uphold. Hey, listen, we've got Kate in the wings. Let's get her in here. All right, man. Hey, Kate, it is awesome to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Real Magic podcast. So, just for the sake of our listener, can you just really quickly tell us you know, who you are and a little bit about the journey that you've been on that's brought you to where you are today? Well. Hello, Alan. Hello, Greg. Hello, listeners. It's great to be here. My name's Kate Richards. I am the founder of True Entrepreneur, and I'm I'm, I'm actually a 10-year entrepreneur. I have another business, which is called Team Bonding, which I don't manage day-to-day anymore because I have been working as a sideline project and now coming more and more into focus on True Entrepreneur, which is my passion project, which is all around clarity, strategy and branding. And the reason I'm doing that is because I had a 20-year corporate career in those kind of fields. And I, when I started as an entrepreneur 10 years ago, I almost left all of that behind and just for some crazy, insane reason, started on a business model that I just knew absolutely nothing about and, um, you know, made all the classic mistakes. But probably around four or five years ago, I identified that I wanted a business that was very fulfilling for me and actually really helped people and served people with the kind of know-how I had gained in my career. And this is what has come of it. So, yeah, I'm sort of mainly helping people with strategy and branding. How did you do the shift from 
Team Bonding, which is teambonding.com.au if anybody wants to check it out, into uh, trueentrepreneur.com. Well, not very smoothly. Um, <laughs> it's two totally different businesses. Completely different businesses. And, and in fact, like that's been an amazing learning curve for me, Greg, because team bonding is a, it's a pool business. You know, people come to us. I don't have to, it's a, it's a sort of demand business. We just use Google AdWords and a few other channels and people jump on the site and then they inquire and it's like that. So I never had to put myself out there in any way to do that. And this business is completely different business model and requires actually almost completely different marketing and everything. So it's just been an amazing learning curve. I've been learning all sorts of new things in the last six months and getting great support from a lot of my friends, of course, who have had this business model for quite some time. But yeah, it's been it's been awesome. But I guess the thing is that I built one big business and one great brand. And so I know I can do it even though it takes a few different skill sets and stuff. Luckily, I've got a lot of fortitude and stuff that I can apply across from one to the other. Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah, I can see that you've certainly built an amazing brand over there at um, Team Bonding. And so, obviously, and I've downloaded your your e-book, sorry, your your lead magnet on uh, trueentrepreneur.com. It's incredible. The amount of value you put in there is just insane. So, obviously, you specialize in helping entrepreneurs gain clarity on branding. So, you have many interesting models for breaking down the six common mistakes that are made with a brand. So, can you just run through those for us? And we can drill down into, you know, maybe one or two of the most common. Fantastic. Well, I did this, I did these six common mistakes because I think it's hard for people to know whether they've got a brand problem or not. Um, I'm sure you guys come across this all the time. Like, what is the catalyst event that causes people to come and say, you know what, something isn't working here and I don't quite know what it is. I'm not connecting in some way or I'm getting too many people just jump off or you know, whatever it is. And I thought if I create these six brand mistakes, maybe people will recognize it more easily that they um, have completely inadvertently gone a little bit wrong with their branding. So the first one I call Clayton's brand. And that is, of course, the brand you have when you don't have a brand. And it sounds a little bit harsh because obviously they do have a brand, but it's generally people where brand building hasn't been a priority for them and they've maybe got a brand that's very templatey and kind of just doesn't look very well loved, even though the person themselves can be an incredibly successful dynamic entrepreneur. And that's just a sign of people that are go-getters and they didn't have a great understanding of design and branding. So that's the Clayton's brand. The, the interesting thing there, I'm just going to, you know, tie this into a mistake that I see all the time is, you know, it's a, I would call it a company that has a logo, not a brand. Would that be right? Like, so they've, they've gone and got something drawn up and it doesn't distill the essence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I think what's happened, Alan, a lot of times with that is they've just gotten a domain name, really. And then gone, right, there's my brand. And they haven't built any of the other kind of richness and the layers that go into a great brand. So that I guess that's what's happened there. Yeah, it, look, it goes very much in the idea of the minimum viable product. But I think the problem with the concept of minimum viable product is you then need to develop it. And a lot of companies get busy, so they don't. And then it has an impact on them later on. So Exactly. And that, that is just the archetype of my private clients, actually. They, that's exactly what's happened. And, you know, and once they sit down for an afternoon and work on this stuff, they love it. 
they think, oh gosh, I could, you know, I've been missing this opportunity to create, to put, infuse more of myself in there and create that connection that that really draws people in. So the next one is bland brand. Now these are more. They look very stock-like and, and the kind of people that fall into this trap are people that want to f- seem very professional, you know. They want to, um, you know, maybe they're accountants or they have those professional kind of things and so they end up with a site that looks very templatey, very standard. There's just nothing there that hooks people in. There's there's no pizzazz and it, everything is just a little bit vanilla and cookie cutter. So it's sort of lack personality, would you say? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and it just looks like, it, you know, you could swap out the name and the photo. It just could be anybody. Um, I, hopefully you guys are recognizing these in, in some of your clients. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. third one is brand babble. Now, this is when nobody seems to get you because when you tell people about your business, you say too much and the response is really glazed eyes and you seem a bit flaky, you seem a bit all over the shop because you just don't have that clarity around your brand statement um, and what you do. And as soon as somebody pays you any attention, you get so excited about that that you talk too much and um, you don't leave them with anything clear and focused. So, Alan, you might know somebody like that. It could even be me. (laughs) Well, look, I've fallen into this trap and I I really love – you know, the idea of your seven-second test, you know, where you've got to be able to and, – and, and I'm actually working with on a branding exercise with a client at the moment where, you know, there's just way too much. You know, how do you get it down to the minimum number of words to explain what it is you do? And should you be cutting away some of the things you do to reinforce your brand? And, I, you know, and, I, and I'm, look, I'm going to talk to the designers that, that we deal with at Pixel Partners on a regular basis, you know. When we get a brief from the designers that has a brand babble type of brand, they almost come to us apologetically saying, look, I'm sorry, but this is all I've got because, and it's messy, what can you do with it, right? Because they know it's a challenge to work with that kind of brand. So I think that one's actually way more common in small business today than maybe in the the larger businesses because the larger businesses tend to have specialized they've got down to what their their essence is Uh, a lot of small businesses are still trying to be everything to everybody yeah absolutely and a lot of this comes from great intent you know and also sort of excitement about working with different people but the thing is if you really want authority in the market, which is something I specialize in, that's what gives you authority. Therefore, you need to have that something, that little slot, that positioning that means as soon as somebody that you know hears a problem, you say, well, go to Alan about that, go to Greg about that, go mm-hmm. to Kate about that. Because, and, you, and to do that, it has to be pretty tight and people get really worried about, you know, over over positioning themselves. But And certainly you can do that. You don't want to specialise in, you know, one, you know, automated platform or something like that because that you'd get bored of that. But, you know, as long as you've, you know, it's a, it's a really good idea to sort of have a specialty and be, you know, seen as the authority or the specialist in that, in that sort of one thing. Couldn't agree more. Would you say then, like, for the listener, like, how do they implement that? Would you say it comes down to the copy, the, the video, the, you know, the, the messaging in general? The copy that's high up on the, 
on the website, like above yeah. the fold. Yeah. I think that's important. And so your main and USB. Your main USB, yeah. And sometimes you have because you've got two pieces of copy really you've got your tagline your positioning line um, and then you've got your usp and then some people also use a testimonial i mean there are different ways to do it but you want that obviously there's a there's a visual component as well and some people are, are creating really great visual usps now but i think just getting that copyright that repeatable, memorable, sort of tantalising little piece. You know, you can never overestimate, like, how important that is and how worthwhile the work is to do that. So, and if you just can't do it, maybe get some help with that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of website owners or business owners try to do copy themselves and they make it all about them as opposed to what they can offer for their prospects. So, I'd highly recommend investing in a copywriter. I think too that um, it's interesting what you said about things like taglines. Like I encourage everybody not to have a tagline, but to have a value statement, right? I, I mean, to me, a tagline is a bunch of nothing, right? It's a bunch of words that often doesn't mean anything. There's an interesting book uh, on essentialism that opens one of its chapters with, okay, I'm going to give you three companies and three taglines, see if you can match which goes with which, and it's impossible, right? Because the taglines are vague and they don't really have any impact. Whereas a value statement, if you think of it that way, is the least number of words which explains to your customer the value of dealing with you. Yeah. So it's just a different perspective, and that's really hard to write. That really does take a professional to be able to get that right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I think so. I think so too, Alan. Some for some people a tagline works. Not not definitely not for everyone and, and not if they if, if there's any kind of, you know, cognitive dissonance between the two, that's a disaster. But the the thing is people have a people have a tagline for the sake of having a tagline, right? Whereas I think if you're gonna have it, make sure that, that statement provides value i think that's just my little my little tweak on on the idea of of getting closer to the essence of the brand absolutely i couldn't agree with you more i i think that's exactly the test you know it just has to you know you 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 have to get to that core and and as and as you said it can't be about you it has to be about the transformation or the result that you create so and people have to look at that and go this is for me this is what i've been looking for you know that has to be the response that you're looking for so now the fourth mistake i, call, I love this one <laughs> <laughs> well who helped me with the name for this at a meetup could it have been Alan? I think it was, it was us, wasn't it? We were talking about this. What was it originally called? Oh, I can't even remember now. I had something else and I just wasn't happy with it. And um, Yeah, we did a little workshop over drinks, didn't we? Yeah, we do. Like, I always bring a problem to every meetup. You know, what's it called? I, I think, you know, I could utilise my genius friends in this particular way. So this one's called Nana Brand. And Nana Brand happens when your visual identity, your look and feel, is at odds with your desired positioning and it creates a perception gap. And it's generally just that people haven't kept up to date. And we know how fast design changes, you know. There's people that five years ago have embossing all over their sites and now I mean, all the new design is very flat and the fonts are very slim and all of that kind of stuff. So it, it dates very quickly and either that or they never did get 
a designer. They kind of got a bit of a fiver job. And so basically what it is, it's like, it's just like wearing dated clothes or, um, you know, you're just hiding really all the wisdom and all the fantastic knowledge that's there um, by giving a poor first impression. So that's what that one is. Yeah. and But if they hang on to it for 30 years, it might be in vogue again. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Greg. That's awesome. (laughs) So do you say that to your clients, Greg, when you see a really outdated site? Say, are you holding on to this for 30 years to see if it comes (laughs) back in fashion? (laughs) The scary thing is it probably will come back in fashion. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Uh, So what are we up to? Number five. We're up to number five. Now, this one is called Brandemonium. So um, this one is a, a lot of quite successful people have this. What's happened here is... Every time they've had an idea, they've gone and bought a domain uh, and they've built out a new site and they sell things on all different platforms and different names and they say, oh, you've got to go here to get that and you've got to go here to get that. And so it's hard to manage. It's difficult and there's no sort of cross leverage from one thing to another. Um, And sometimes even if they've got one customer, they end up with multiple brands. And of course, what I recommend for this one is you've really got to clean up your whole brand system. You've got to understand, are you a branded house? Are you an endorser? Do you run sub-brands? Or are you going to keep this sort of house of brands model where things aren't connected to each other? And then just set some rules around that understand what each of those different models, how it looks and what it brings you. But in general, I always say brands are for markets. So if you have one market, you are much better running one bigger brand, a bigger, better brand than running multiple smaller brands. I think there's a little bit of legacy there too, where a few years ago, the way to dominate on things like the search engines was to have multiple sites ranking highly so i mean there are some companies that quite intentionally brand each product as its own standalone brand and there's some merit to that if you ever want to peel that off to be its own business right but i think that it has it became common practice to do this and then there's this legacy of brands and companies that are struggling to manage multiple brands and and bringing them all together could have a huge benefit that's exactly right, Alan. And, and you know, as you say, these are good practice and people that don't have the benefit of 20 years of strategy with billion-dollar brands that I have don't didn't understand that. And it's just no reflection on them whatsoever because how could they know this? But, you know, there are these brand systems that underlie these kind of decisions and so they're completely inadvertently making choices that down the track may have to be unwound or will sort of completely change what they're doing. And as you say, a lot of it was driven by SEO and the sort of gold rush to get the domain names and all of that kind of thing. So I think with that one, if people think they may have that, it's probably best to just contact me as more private just for a chat and have a talk about that because as I said there are pros and cons and you can you can very successfully run a house of brands that's what Procter and Gamble and Unilever do that's how they dominate the supermarket and Coca-Cola does it as well and Kimberly Clark does it I mean there's there's plenty of examples of businesses that do it exceptionally well but what I've noticed for a lot of them is they actually have a very consistent formula when you actually go down to the brand tier that they use across all their brands yeah 
And that's right. And in our era of personal branding where people are finding you with your name, the, the issue is that just say people find Greg Merrilies. Hello, Greg. Um, <laughs> and then suddenly they look at him and suddenly he's got 15 brands all over the place and it's like, oh, hang on, who is this guy? What, why does he do all these different things? Why does he have all these different sites? I'm really confused now. Yeah. And it's just it just creates a lot of confusion. It does. I we get we get a lot of clients that have grown organically. They're just small businesses and you know they've put a sales page up for this offer and a different sales page up for that offer. They've used different designers here there and everywhere. And then they'll come to us and say, we want a website. It was like, well, do you have a, a look and feel? And they've got five different websites they send to you and they're all completely different to each other. So then it would be our job to, you know, roll it all into one, essentially one look and feel. And But yeah, I see it quite commonly of, of entrepreneurs when they've just grown organically and they haven't really been able to manage it until they get to a point where they realize they've got too many different looks going on. Yeah. Well, there is a really effective model for this, which is called a sub-brand model. So if you want to think about cars, Toyota does this really well. So Toyota is the endorser and you know what you get certain things when you're getting a Toyota, you're getting a good value, you're getting, you know, high sort of quality, you're getting um, a lot of service and support and all of that. So that all lives in the Toyota brand. But with Toyota, they put all the personality into their sub-brands, into the names of the cars, like mm -hmm. Corolla. Corolla has a positioning, the Camry has a positioning, the Kluger has a positioning. So, you know, it operates at two levels. And that's a, that's a very effective brand system. If you have things like well-known events that have their own names and then you have a program that's well-known that has a different name and then you have this but you need to build that sort of umbrella that endorser and then have everything else sitting together underneath nice i like that yeah it's it's it's, it's a great model um and it's it's very effective but you know you need to kind of really understand that you know, the, the framework, the scaffold for that. And then before you go and make more decisions that you might regret. So, And I think the, you need to understand the ongoing impact because there is a lot of work to do to manage that. Uh, and that's not to say that it's a bad decision. It's just the choice you need to make. And then, uh, I mean, you used one of my favourite words really early in this episode, which is fortitude. You've got to have then the fortitude to stick with that and move it forwards because if you don't execute it well like any brand it's going to fall over so yeah absolutely and i guess the the sort of authority that i want to provide for entrepreneurs in this market is that you know that extra academics not the right word but you know that extra sort of proven level of models and systems so that they're not just always following their gut instincts you know they don't have to keep guessing all the time so that's kind of what I want to help people with so and the sixth one is also uh, speaking of regrets and old decisions is called brand lock which comes from gridlock obviously which is when people get too tightly niched and they feel shackled into a position um, and they aren't able to grow their business because of its name or a brand that they've created they're not able to add services well they are able to but 
it, it doesn't reflect very well through their positioning and stuff. So an example could be SEO. If you have SEO in your name and you've decided now that you're going to go move more into paid traffic and um, digital marketing or whatever, but SEO is now not as sought after. People have been burned by it, so it's not as sought after as it was um, and you're stuck with this kind of too confining brand and positioning. And this is one where sometimes you actually do need to rebrand and you need a rebrand. So if I guess if you're starting out, you want to try and think of um, how to avoid brand lock down the track. So, Well, you, know, you do. Guess- yeah, people can get, you know, and that, that's a, it's a big deal to rebrand. Because, yeah, exactly. you know, to understand positioning, positioning is, is a bit of a one-shot kind of deal really with a lot of people they don't really like you chopping and changing constantly because that's the way brains work because brains are you know they're completely overtaxed and so you kind of you want to just get into that slot in people's brains and then kind of you can grow of course you can but you kind of want to stay in the general area of where you started out you know you don't want to be suddenly saying I'm a designer oh and now here I am, a content marketing specialist, you know, yeah. because that, that just creates dissonance and you don't want to do that. You want to work with the brain and not against the brain. So, yeah, so that's the six. That is awesome. So let me, let me ask you this, right? So if our listener has been sitting there going, oh, yeah, that's interesting, and all of a sudden one of them has hit them and gone, oh, I think I might be doing that mistake or I think I might have that problem, let me ask you this, right? What is the the impact on them if they don't, you know, get to the end of this episode and take action to fix it? Like what what's the 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 financial cost or the impact on their brand potentially if they don't actually make the effort to fix it? Well, it's very hard to quantify, isn't it? But what's the cost of people sailing right by you and not noticing that you are there to solve their problem? You know, that's a huge cost. I mean, it's unquantifiable really. But the thing is, unless you have a way of reaching out to that person with that problem that you can solve and kind of taking their hand and connecting with them and saying, please look at what I've got here that that can help you, you know, that that's everything in business, isn't it, really? And I'm not going to say the brand does everything, but I think it does a lot of heavy lifting. And I think a lot of you know, the reason that you get ignored or overlooked is is that, you know, there's just something in your positioning or something in the way that you're connecting that just isn't quite resonating with those people that you desperately want to stop them in their tracks and you want them to say, you know, here is, here's what I'm looking for. Here's the person that can help me. So I think it's, I know, how important do you guys think it is? I think it's really important to get it right. Extremely. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting, actually, because I'm just going to make a quick clarification for the business owners listening, because the designers are going to get this. We are talking about the brand, not just the logo. We're talking about everything, every way you communicate. And, you know, I love what actually all three of us, it's a common friend, Taki Moore says, he goes, and I can't say it exactly the way he says it, because I don't want to get an explicit rating on the episode. But he basically says, I don't want somebody to accidentally think I'm crap and not experience what I have to offer Mm. because my design and my brand isn't representative of who I am. So true. And the thing is that often you've done, you've done all that work, like, and then people just sail right on by. Um, 
you know. And the thing is, this is not hard work and this doesn't take a lot of time either. Um, and yes, you may need to invest in a great designer like one of you guys. But I mean, that's an investment that pays off forever. So, and it's also, you know, the kind of work that really energizes you in your business and really gets you kind of um, feeling. What I like to say is my test for people is, does your brand make you burst with pride? You know, hmm. I'm so proud of True Entrepreneur. I invested very heavily. I think you guys can tell that. I invested very heavily in design and, um, you know, but I'm really proud. I really wanted something that was all of me and all of what I wanted to put out there and I'm really proud of it and I want that for everybody. I want everyone to be able to go, oh, I'm so proud of my brand. Um, I think it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and the thing is is that, you know, you've clearly – yeah, whether other people like it or not, you've injected that personality that is really needed in a brand, and in this case, the personality is you, and that's reflected in in what you've what you've done. I've got a kind of a, a question as far as the impact goes. You know, so we have a lot of professional designers that listen to this show, um, and business owners that deal with professional designers. When dealing with a professional designer, if there is an established brand there, do you think the designer should be pushing back if they feel that the the brand integrity is not being well maintained or not being well executed or even if the brand doesn't have clarity? Because I, personally, I feel that you know, designers can fall into the trap of, well, I'm going to do it because the customer asked me to. I'm not necessarily going to inject my opinion into, into the job. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know your relationships. I'm not suggesting you have to become combative or anything like that because I don't think that's probably very helpful. But I think clarity is the thing, isn't it? Like clarity is the thing that you can really push back on because you can say, look, we're just not clear enough here what you're trying to achieve or who your ideal client is or what the descriptors are or what you're trying to bring to life. Um, and I think, you know, that that's a legitimate question for a business owner because often they're just too busy and they haven't put enough time into it and they've just loaded up the brief with everything like a massive wish list. And I think that's a great time to pull to push back because, you know, you want to be able to say to them, if you want people to take away one thing when they see this, what what is that one thing? So I think clarity is probably a good pushback point. I don't know that I was a great client actually for my designers. They, they were very polite to me, but I, I, was, I was picky. That's for sure. But you can be picky if you have clarity. I'm talking more about the fact that, you know, some of these brand issues, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, but we see it every day. You know, we see brands that don't have clarity or, you know, there are issues there, yet uh, we're forced, almost forced to design in and around those uh, restrictions, even though it goes against maybe what the designer might might uh, think is the best result for the client. I, I guess I'm just trying, trying to bring it to light that uh, maybe business owners, you can actually say to your designer, listen, I'm happy for you to push back and tell me if you think there's a problem, right? And then take the feedback constructively. And sometimes, look, I've had, I've actually gone down the path sometimes where I've pushed back and, you know, the, the, the client has actually come back to me and said, well, the reason we do this is, and they've explained it to me, and there I've got the clarity of going, okay, well, it didn't seem right, but now I understand the purpose. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's your going in point, isn't it, as a designer? I think you've got to maybe think, oh, there's probably a reason for this that I'm not understanding, and ask it from that, that point of view. Clarity is the thing for everybody. I mean, if you're all clear, you're all on the same page, you all know what you're trying to do, um, you know, that's when 
you know, that's when you get a good result. I mean, you, you can't underestimate. One of my friends has a business called 55.5 and it comes from that idea of Einstein's where in any hour, 55 minutes is spent planning and five minutes is spent executing, you know, is, well, and I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs wouldn't agree with that, but it's that <laughs> idea that, that you're going, you know, let's put that work in up front get really clear on what we want and then things flow much more smoothly. I mean, you would know the biggest cost in your business is rework, you know, and it's rework that's gone off on a tangent because not everything was understood. So, you know, I, I find that interesting. But, but yeah, you're quite right, Alan. I think but within a relationship you've got to say uh, hopefully you've built a great relationship and there is room for, for pushback. Definitely. All right. Well, Kate, you've been extremely generous with your time. If you had one more tip for somebody that's thinking of rebranding, uh, how would you? What would you, su- you know, suggest? What unlocked it for me was doing a lot of work on what I liked and what I didn't like. So I kept a folder and I kept a lot of screenshots. And I um, this is sort of this is more moving into where you think maybe you need to refresh your design, which is. If you have Clayton sure. brand, Nana brand or Bland brand, any of those three, I think it's probably worth just looking at getting a designer involved. And I think just looking for visual references um, and sort of understanding why things are speaking to you. Um, I created like a mood board for my designers or it was kind of a folder and I got a lot of custom illustrations. I decided to go with custom illustrations, which obviously are a big investment, but I just, I just felt that was going to give me um, a look and feel that I, I really liked. And so mm-hmm. to do that, I had to create a sort of quite a big folder of lots of different ideas and that was really helpful. I think that helped my designers as well because it kind of translated what I was saying in words into my ideas around how that was going to look. And other, if you don't do that work as a client, when you start to get the stuff back, you kind of you're just kind of starting at scratch with your response, you know, whereas if you kind of start to think about what you like or your colour palettes or all of those things. So you'd be the ideal client because we ask all those questions obviously in a, in a questionnaire but uh, you sound like you'd be, you'd be coming up to the uh, meeting well prepared, <laughs> which is cool. I, I said before I was, I was picky but I think they did enjoy they do enjoy working with me. I think the hardest thing I found, and I don't know if other clients find this, is sort of my anticipating what I was going to need in the future. That was where I probably found the process quite taxing, you know, because I did I did decide on, you know, the illustrations and I got those all commissioned and stuff. And even now I go, oh, I wish I had one that did this and I wish I had one that did that. So, you know, that was, that was tricky. But yeah, the rest of it, oh, just it was a fantastic process for me because, you know, this business was my passion project and it was a long time in the shadows, you know, and this was my way of feeling like I was moving forward with it when I had the design done and then went on to the website design as well. So, yeah, I just, I think people who are clients of great designers, it's it's one of the highlights of of your entire process as a business owner because you're getting this incredibly talented person in there, you know, supporting your vision. It feels fantastic. So, yeah, I loved it. Fantastic. Good on you, Kat. Well, that's great. You've shared some incredible knowledge. Thank you so much. So where can people connect with you to learn more about what you do and what you offer? Well, they can come to trueentrepreneur.com 
And um, the post that I've been talking about is called The Six Common Entrepreneurial Brand Mistakes. So have a look at that one if anything kind of piqued your interest because there is some suggestions as to what to do that I didn't read out, but there's a little bit more depth in that post than what we covered today. Um, And the other thing I have is I have a free training which is called the One Page Brand. And the idea is there that you sort of sit for one afternoon with your brand and you can get every single aspect and there's 12 segments, 12 facets. You can get them all onto one page and that document then can carry forward into anything you do, anything you do with a designer, a copywriter. You know, you've got you've got this sort of completely aligned piece of brand work that can explain your brand to pretty much anyone else who works with you on it. Awesome. That is fabulous, Kate. We'll post a link to the the six brand mistakes post on therealmagic.com. So if you want to find it quickly and easily, just head to this this post on our website and you'll be able to click straight through to, to Kate's. Kate, it has been awesome having you on and I look forward to catching you, catching up with you. We try and catch up every month or two depending on when, when we have some meetups on and, and you're right, we always get together and workshop some ideas. So I'll catch you around and uh, listener, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Oh, thank you guys. I've really enjoyed it. So I uh, love talking to you both. Love your work. Uh, love your podcast. So all the best with it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kate. Thanks, Kate. Oh, Greg, that was fabulous. It was so good to have Kate on. We've been looking forward to that episode and it was well worth the wait. So, um, Greg, what's your killer tip and listener action for our listener today? Yeah, man, Kate was fantastic. She shared so much incredible knowledge there. And, yeah, to me, the one thing that I see really commonly is that brand ammonium um, mistake or, or symptom or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, basically, if you have grown organically, really look at all of your different, um, you know, sales pages, whatever you've created online, and just see if it's congruent. If it's not, you suffer from this brand ammonium. So you need to uh, speak to a brand expert and have it fixed. Definitely. Look, my killer tip is just to to really think of your brand as something that is alive, you know, and a lot of the mistakes that were talked about were because you know, the the person driving the brand wasn't or isn't reviewing it on a regular basis. So I just think it's important to, to ask yourself the question, does my brand still represent who I am? And then you've got to work out what needs to shift. Does your brand need to shift to a line where, we've, where you are today? Or was your brand really what you're about? And have you drifted away from your core essence? And should you come back? and be the brand that you always wanted to be, you know? So just think of it as something that's alive that should be checked on and nurtured on a regular basis. Yeah, and go ahead and, and check out Kate's, um, you know, free download on her site because it's really, really beneficial. I've done it as well. It's got some great stuff in there. So thank you for listening. Thank you, listener. Uh, don't forget, we would love to... Uh, have your comments on therealmagic.com. We do answer all the comments that go on the website. Uh, and a five-star rating and a comment on iTunes would be killer. We can't reply to those, unfortunately, but we will uh, do an episode in the near future where we will go through them and maybe read them out. What do you reckon, Greg? Yeah, you got it, man. Sounds awesome. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks, Greg. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.